0: everyone. Welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for joining me this week. This week's episode is the part two of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints study. So if you are not familiar with the podcast, basically I've been on a kick of studying different cultural or religious belief systems. So we did Jehovah's Witnesses, the Amish and Mennonites, um, and now we are on the LDS Church or the Mormon Church for short the official name is now the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints member so um, we are studying their beliefs and their culture and day-to-day practices and things like that so last week we did a part one we went over a lot a lot a lot about the history of the church which took up basically the entire hour that I like to kind of limit the podcast to Because it's just so different and so recent in history so since it was so uh, different from other denominations of Christianity's history I spent a lot of time going over the history so that is basically last week's episode we touched a little bit about what their beliefs are like with regards to the afterlife and things like that but this week I really wanted to give the whole picture of what they believe the afterlife is like what they believe that like how things were set up kind of before you were born, which is significantly different than, let's say, non-denominational Christianity. And then I also wanted to get into kind of the do's and don'ts of the Mormon church. So uh, if you know any members of the LDS church in, you know, your life, most of the time there are pretty, maybe not strict rules, but a lot of them follow um, principles of like not drinking alcohol, not drinking caffeine, staying away from any addictive substances things like that spend like the the Mormons that I knew spent a lot of time at church on Sundays or just hanging out with families on Sundays a lot of them are very family oriented from my experience and the doctrine that I researched um, about the church actually very much supports all of those things and like the family focus and things like that so I wanted to get more into why all of those common practices that we see from the church today are there why people follow those what doctrines are behind them and then what they believe this whole like big picture of eternity looks like so let's get into that and i hope you enjoyed the episode thanks everyone So this is more or less going to be like a grab bag of questions that I had remaining after last week's episode and things that I really wanted to research. I'm going to try to go into like in a coherent uh, order here, but some things might just be like random questions I have, like, why don't they tend to do this? Or why do they tend to do this? Um, So let's get into it. Okay, so what are the beliefs about the Mormon afterlife? now if you are a christian or i'm trying to think this kind of applies to a lot of religions is we really only think of the afterlife so our existence starts at birth and then we live life on here and then we kind of wonder what happens after we die there's a few exceptions i think like hinduism um has the kind of reincarnation aspect to it i could be wrong i always get hinduism and buddhism like swapped in my mind for the that kind of thing but i'll be researching both of those (laughs) so um i will get them straightened out soon but for my whole life as a christian i've thought about like life starts at birth or at conception uh, and your soul enters at conception and then we don't really 100% know what happens in the afterlife but we have an idea because of what Jesus and prophets have told us that we either go to heaven or hell well it is a little different in the Mormon church so what their belief is and I will post a diagram on my Instagram because I found a very helpful one that I'm doing like an adaptation of to kind of fit my color scheme you know gotta stay stay in the aesthetics of Instagram but go reference my Instagram at Abby Rancor because it will show this diagram of the procession of a soul basically through eternity and in the afterlife so what they believe is that there is a Heavenly Father which we've all kind of heard about in the Bible and in the Book of Mormon it references a Heavenly Father well logic shows or In the LDS Church's mind common sense tells us that they cannot reproduce uh, without there being a heavenly mother so the thought is we are all spirit children of the Heavenly Father and by common sense's standard there is a heavenly mother there so there's two parents essentially ruling the planet and populating the planet and we every single person on earth is a spirit child of the two heavenly parents so lds scriptures never mention a spiritual mother uh outright it's never mentioned in the book of mormon in the doctrines and covenants in the pearl of great price or in the bible those are the four kind of governing documents of the church she's never mentioned there but i've seen a lot of people on instagram and stuff say oh since um It said that let us create them in our image in Genesis and it's plural and then um, since uh, Eve was created obviously feminine and as a woman there she is reflecting the heavenly mother so um, she is not explicitly mentioned but the common sense says that um, they do believe in a heavenly mother so here's where things get very interesting for when I was researching. I did not realize uh, this was a core belief of the LDS Church. Essentially, we're in a holding area with God, and this is what we mentioned last week. So our two spiritual parents are there. We are all billions and billions of spiritual children, and we are living kind of with our parents but we're not mature we're, we can't be in full communion with our heavenly mother and father because we are just spiritually immature so we, they know we're fallen and we cannot live in perfect communion with them so one of the spirit children is Jesus and one spirit child is Satan or Lucifer I guess it was Lucifer who kind of becomes who we label now as Satan so they each kind of pitched a plan to bring us into full communion with our spiritual parents and Jesus's plan is essentially his plan that happened where he came down as a man to atone for the sins of everyone die on the cross get raised up and then we through free will can choose to believe in that and believe Um, in Jesus and in our Father and kind of be reunited with our spiritual parents fully and essentially the earth is like a testing area where we're tested and refined and um, you don't remember your memories of being in this spiritual um, heaven sort of place beforehand so we're immature, we get sent to earth for testing and refinement and then if we choose Jesus and and his plan for redemption and choose the father God when we die we get we will eventually talk about what happens after that but earth is really just a place to be refined and tested but so those are the people that get bodies so if you choose Jesus's plan you get a body to come be tested in however it talks about the the doctrine of the LDS church talks about how One third at least of the spirit children of our heavenly parents, before they ever got a body, so they have not been born, chose Lucifer's plan, which is like for which his plan was forcing everyone to worship God instead of giving them free will. One third of them chose his plan and were essentially deceived and go straight to what they call the outer... It's not called the outer abyss. It's called the outer darkness, which is essentially hell. Okay, so we'll get to that later, but a third of the the spirit children we will never see because they are kind of cast out before they even get a body. So let me read this excerpt that I found, and again, I will link all of the... Um, resources that I find on this below because there are a ton for this week's episode. I have so many links, so I will post them. Um, If there's too many, I might just post it on my blog, but otherwise it'll be in the show notes. So this says, LDS teach that pre-mortal spirit life, Jesus, Lucifer, and all of us were the spirit children of God and his wives. So there's possibly more than one spirit mother because some Mormons believe in polygamy okay so both jesus and his brother lucifer suggested plans of salvation to god the father for this world we now inhabit when lucifer's plan was rejected he rebelled and tried to usurp god's throne but he was defeated by jesus and those who follow him lucifer and one third of the spirits in heaven who supported him were cast out of heaven to earth where they still tempt mortals to rebel against god so In a diagram that i've seen they were cast to the outer darkness and then some people say that they are sent to earth to tempt people into rebellion and so essentially they're like demons that's another theory so then it also says this third stage of eternal progression is our present mortal probation none of none of the wicked pre-mortal spirits who followed Lucifer were privileged to get mortal bodies like we have, but those valiant spirits who fought against Lucifer with Jesus Christ in heaven were given the best bodies of all. Okay. This is where the Mormon doctrine gets so cringy and bad. Um, And this was changed in like the late seventies, but for a very, very long time, this is the doctrine of the church. And I would like to talk to an actual member of the church and see what their feelings are on this because, like, it's not good. And so I'm wondering how the church has, like, kind of recovered from a doctrine like this. So basically they think that the spirits who fought against Lucifer valiantly in the pre-mortal time, so before we got bodies, the ones who fought the best and the most valiantly got white skin. However, some spirits did not fight valiantly against Lucifer. Those spirits were permitted to have bodies, but they were marked with black skin. This was church doctrine until June 9th, 1978. So the theory behind this is that basically they were permitted to have bodies, but they were marked with black skin saying that they did not fight valiantly against Lucifer. Um... They are born into this world being black as the sons of Cain and Ham. Because they were not valiant in pre-existence, they were cursed. So they could not hold the LDS priesthood. So up until 1978, black men... Well, first of all, priesthood is only for men. But up until 1978, no black man could hold a priesthood in the LDS church. Then... In 1978, President Spencer W. Kimball announced that God had revealed to him that all worthy male members of all races could now hold the priesthood. So suddenly, it seems that God has changed. And I'm sure if a Mormon is listening to me right now and there's some justification for how this, I don't know, I feel like a lot of Mormons probably know this history and have somehow justified it in their minds and say, well, God didn't change, it was just the time, and that time of uh, only certain people holding the priesthood is now over, so God didn't change. I've heard that argument a lot in these LDS websites. So, again, I would like to interview someone who's actually a member and see how they feel about all this, but it said, uh, President Kimball's revelation ended the curse of not having the priesthood, but it did change the LDS but it did not change the lds doctrine of pre-existence nor remove the mark of the curse which brigham young young says was a flat nose and black skin it said he said that curse will remain upon them and they can never hold the priesthood or share in it until all the other descendants of adam have received the promises and enjoyed the blessings of the priesthood and the keys thereof which essentially means that like all the other white people have gotten their priesthood and so this article is saying well since the um since all of the other sons of Adam have not received the blessings of l d s priesthood, either Brigham Young was a false prophet or l d s president Kimball's revelation was not from God, so these two are in direct uh competition now, I didn't go into this wanting to be like rip apart mormon doctrine, but i went when I read this, I was like, Are you serious <laughs> like this is terrible first of all it's not biblical at all the bible like the actual bible says that god is no respecter of persons it talks very much about how like the least is first the first is last and so like ranking people and saying that these people didn't fight valiantly against satan in a previous life that is not even mentioned in the bible at all there's no biblical evidence for this seemed like it just honestly stemmed out of racism From the leaders of the Mormon Church so you know I guess Mormons could be as great now and I know a a decent amount of them and they have been like the nicest people I've ever met but the history of the church doctrine is concerning to say the least so the fact that Brigham Young said like Black people will never get the priesthood until all of the white people get it. And then suddenly there was a new revelation by a president saying, oh, they can get the priesthood now. It's like they're in direct contradiction to each other. So I don't know how that's handled. That like conflict is handled within the church or within members' minds. Um, okay, so other than that very terrible doctrinal history, let's get on to see what else... They believe about eternity. So, again, spirits go, um, they come here onto Earth, they get tested and, you know, get the opportunity to hear the gospel. We don't remember our pre-existence at all. So that's the other thing. Like, they say that black people were marked with this curse of... um you know, not fighting Lucifer strong enough and all of that, but there's no memory by anyone of their previous life. So yeah, there's like no justification for even for that as a doctrine, but anyway. Okay. So after humans die, it's believed by The mormon church that spirits will go to the spirit world so we were in the spirit world before we came to earth we go back to the spirit world but it's in like a different area it's basically a mini paradise or mini prison think of it as like a there's a divide there but they're both in the same kind of region where people who have accepted the gospel and lived a good life will go to this temporary spiritual paradise And then anyone who has not gotten the chance to accept Jesus or accept the church doctrine or become a Mormon or hear the gospel at all will go to this spirit prison, but it is temporary. So there is suffering there, but it's not the eternal, like what you would think of as hell. So in this time where they're in this like holding cell, essentially with varying degrees of happiness, depending on if you follow Jesus or not they are still undergoing instruction and preparations. And then after a certain amount of time that is unknown, there is going to be a resurrection where spirits will be reunited with their bodies forever. So the resurrection is a pretty common thing in Christianity, uh, common belief, I should say. And so Mormons believe that there will be a resurrection as well, where spirits will be reunited with their bodies forever. Now, from there, your memories of life on earth will remain with you death doesn't change like your personality or your desires for good and evil it says if you follow jesus during your life you'll be at peace in the spirit world um those who do not will be unhappy we talked about that like the spirit prison or the spirit paradise and those in spirit prison that's not like your final fate you'll still have the opportunity to learn about and accept the gospel okay so this is like the first step of judgment where they're sending god is sending Uh, his children to either the good part of this holding cell or the bad part okay it says everyone will be resurrected um to one of the three kingdoms of heaven so after this unknown amount of time has happened and we all get resurrected and united with our bodies then there will be like basically a final judgment where you can be put in one of three kingdoms now they are in order of like They're in degrees of glory that you get, I can describe it as. So there's something called the Celestial Kingdom, the Terrestrial Kingdom, and the Telestial Kingdom. Um, And then there's Outer Darkness or Hell. And I'll explain the kind of hellish uh, area in a minute, but it's for not very many people. Um, But so there's three of these different kingdoms now the highest level of heaven is called the celestial kingdom which is split into three levels nothing in any mormon scripture says anything about the lower two levels of the celestial level but what we do know about the upper echelon of the celestial kingdom is that um let's see you must be married and sealed in mormon temples and like so if you're not married in a mormon temple you cannot be eligible for this highest level you also need to have a very very like outstanding record i should say or i would say um so you have to basically follow the law completely it's it says um so then there's this concept, and I guess this is a good time to talk about it since uh, people only in this kingdom are eligible for this. So I have always heard that Mormons are believe that some people can get their own planets and rule as gods over their own planets. And this has been really, really downplayed in recent years. Like a ton of Mormons and church leaders and all this say, no, that's just folklore. We don't believe you can get your own planets. That's just really not the case. However, that does not seem to be the truth, really, because yes, it is true that they believe that not everyone just like goes and gets a planet because only the very very upper top tier of mormons who live like an impeccable life on earth who get sealed in the mormon temple who get married in the mormon temple who have these familial relationships quote sealed which we'll talk about here in a little bit can get to this level so what they believe is that god is not the only god of eternity they believe that god Used to be a man in another planet or another world, I should say. So they're like our God was a spirit child of another set of heavenly parents, and then that God was a spirit child of two other heavenly parents and so as you go back through eternity there are an infinite number of gods now we only serve our one god and heavenly mother and holy spirit and jesus christ but there is an infinite amount of them as you traverse through eternity there will be an infinite number in the future and there will be an infinite number in the past so while we are technically only serving our world's god like heavenly father mother jesus and holy spirit which they believe are four different persons instead of one like the trinity you're serving them only but there are basically an infinite number of them throughout time so i hope i explained that well let me know if you have any questions and dm me if you do but Um, So they don't believe everyone will just go and get their own planet if they're good. It's like they think that there will maybe be a chain of gods. So one of the people or a select few of the people here who get born, you know, after their pre-existence, then they do impeccable things. They do all these requirements. They get to, after the resurrection, they get to this upper tier they become so much like God because they've learned so much and they absorb all this knowledge and they become just like him that he, that they are essentially given their own worlds to govern, populate, and rule. So the important thing about, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the important thing about the sealing ceremonies, which I mentioned before, sealing ceremonies are sealing familial relationships for eternity so while christians believe that marriage is irrelevant in after the resurrection because jesus himself (laughs) said that marriage is is irrelevant we just went over in our bible episodes how people were questioning jesus about hey if this woman has a husband who dies and then she marries this man and then he dies and she marries this man who is she married to in eternity and he says there is no marriage in eternity it's basically irrelevant they say yes if you are not sealed in the Mormon temple your marriage lasts until death however if you have this very special sealing ceremony with your spouse then your marriage lasts forever so if you and your spouse reach the upper tier of the celestial kingdom and you've done all these things and your familial bond is sealed for eternity you can eventually become so much like god that you get your own world and together then you guys are the um the what am i trying to say heavenly parents so, then you would populate a whole planet, have again billions of spirit children, and then those people would be choo- uh, chosen to get bodies on a different kind of parallel planet to Earth. So, it gets very complicated, but, and we'll go over more about the sealing stuff later because you can be sealed with many familial relationships. But that is the celestial, the highest level of heaven. Then you have the terrestrial. Oh, I should also mention in the um, celestial tier, you get fellowship with God, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. In the terrestrial kingdom, which is like one step below, it's available for men and women who lived honorable lives and accepted the atonement of Christ, but who are not valiant in their testimonies of Christ. So if you're kind of like half in half out but you accept jesus um you can go to this level of heaven now they do not get the presence of god the father so in a way they say it's kind of like torment because you don't get the present you're deprived of the presence of the father but you have the presence of jesus christ and the holy spirit the celestial kingdom is the third tier, which is the least desired tier, and it's for those who, are, who refuse to repent. It says, all those that refuse to repent will be there. Christ's suffering and death make it possible for a sinner to still be released from the punishment in the afterlife if the sinner repents and accepts Mormon baptism. So this is kind of like in the instruction um, phase, I should say. So if you died on earth and you rejected the mormon baptism if you did not accept christ christ i guess you go to that temporary prison holding cell thing similar to like purgatory i guess although it's a little bit different but you're holding there then you get your have your resurrection you're still getting instructions for, uh, and learning and so there's still a lot of time to accept jesus between your death and and between the res and up until the resurrection there's also a mormon doctrine of baptism of the dead so they believe that uh, baptism is essential for salvation as far as i can tell and so there is a big push to get every single person that has existed baptized even if they're dead because it basically makes entering the the celestial kingdom possible so it says like they're not guaranteed to go you don't know if they've accepted jesus or not there's hope that they might when they're in this spiritual prison area but by baptizing them when they're dead you make it possible for them to open the door to make it into this better kingdom the celestial kingdom Okay, so they don't really believe in hell per se, but some people believe that there are going to be people called the sons of perdition, and those people will suffer eternally without hope of going to celestial glory. So this is only for people who have fully known the truth of Mormonism before, which is very, very hard. Like They say you have to... Um, Well, let me just read this excerpt from this article. It says, 10th President Joseph Fielding Smith taught that while possible, it is unlikely for a human being to become a son of perdition because the person must have known that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, have had the testimony of the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Ghost, and these things have, have all been revealed so that they know that they are true. And then they turn against them and fight them knowingly. In other words, a person can receive Mormonism's version of hell only by fully understanding the LDS gospel and still rebelling against the true church. It says, for ex-Mormons who have left this religion after once believing it to be true, outer darkness is a long shot, as a person needs to believe the LDS church is true and still fight against it. And this author writes, all ex-Mormons I know would be disqualified because they now believe this church is not true. So you have to essentially say that the church is 100% true, but they're still fighting against the truth. Uh, So not very many people will actually go to what is described as this outer darkness. Okay, so we've been through a, a lot of doctrine here, but I wanted to just get the basics of what is actually required for salvation. So this says, salvation is rooted in proper belief, Which is summarized in the 13 articles of faith as well as right practices which is like very vague but we go through some of those a little bit later as to what's considered right practices so these are the 13 articles of faith it says we believe in the god the eternal father and his son jesus christ and in the holy ghost we believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for adam's transgressions this is a very important point mormons do not believe that original sin has caused us all to be inherently sinful we will be subject to sin however they only believe that the age of accountability is eight years old so kids will automatic kids who die before the age of eight will automatically go to heaven or to the spirit paradise because they're not accountable for their own sins Before the age of eight. Once they turn eight, then the responsibility is on them for their sins, which is actually very, very young. But that's the age of accountability in the LDS church. So they don't believe we're inherently going to hell necessarily until the age of eight, where you can take responsibility for your sins. Okay number three is we believe that through the atonement of christ all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel we believe that the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are first faith in lord jesus christ second repentance third baptism by immersion for the remission of sins fourth laying on of hands for the gift of the holy spirit We believe that a man must be called of god by prophecy and by laying on of hands by those who are in authority to preach the gospel and administer the ordinances thereof so talking about the priesthood there it says we believe in the same organization that existed in the primitive church namely apostles prophets pastors teachers evangelists and so forth we believe in the gift of tongues prophecy revelation visions healing interpretation of tongues and so forth We believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly we also believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God that is an interesting one because there are things like this marriage sealing stuff where the Book of Mormon directly contradicts the Bible and my best guess is that they think that there's some translational issue with the Bible but I have read that Because the Bible was put together piecemeal, it's considered a less solid or less reliable document than the Book of Mormon, since that was all translated all at once. So, in the case of a contradiction between the two, the Book of Mormon wins, essentially okay it says we believe all that god has revealed all that he does now reveal and we believe that he will yet reveal many and great important things pertaining to the kingdom of god so they believe in living prophets prophets are still here today giving revelations which we will definitely see once we get to talking about the hierarchy of the church Um, we believe in the literal gathering of Israel and the restoration of the 10 tribes that Zion, the new Jerusalem will be built upon the American continent, that Christ will reign personally upon the earth and that the earth will be renewed and receive its paradisiacal glory. So it's going to be paradise we can claim the privilege of worshiping almighty god according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege let them worship how where or what they may we believe we believe in being subject to kings presidents rulers and magistrates in obeying honoring and sustaining the law and finally we believe in honest in being honest true chaste benevolent virtuous and in doing good to all men indeed we may say that we follow the admonition of paul we believe all things, we hope all things, we have endured many things, and we hope to be able to endure all things. If there is anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy, we seek after these things. So that is not uh, like all-encompassing of the beliefs, but that is a pretty good summary of like just doctrinal high points there. Um. Okay, so this is the whole thing with the infinite gods i pulled this excerpt um and maybe this will explain it better but this was also in my notes it says the lds doctrine is that the god the father was also once a spirit child of a loving of loving heavenly parents Who placed him in a mortal realm to be tested and tried and eventually exalted he lived a mortal life on an earth just like this experience we are having he was exalted to be a god and our father um, and is the only god we worship it doesn't take away from the god wait sorry it doesn't take away from god that there are other gods throughout the eternities god the father is always the object of our adoration and love and we worship none other we desire to be just like him so that is uh the doctrinal thing with the many gods through eternity so that's like the overall the afterlife how that's all presented and believed to be um understood a lot of that is from modern revelations or revelations from joseph smith or the book of mormon okay so now i want to talk about how the church is organized because i've heard of like Wards. I don't know if anyone has heard of wards, if they are friends with LDS church members, but I've always been curious about how this was all broken down. So there's a full hierarchy within the LDS church. The highest position is called the first presidency. So the first presidency is made up of a president and the first and second counselor. So the president is like the top dog. He is the highest ruler of the land this he is also considered a living prophet and so when i say like oh this president got a revelation in 1978 they believe that that is not only the president of the church but that he can talk directly to god and he will sometimes announce new revelations or doctrines of the church we'll see this structure a lot too where there's like a president of a group or a Um, a division of the hierarchy and they are supported by two other people in this case it's the first and second counselor and they assist the president so same thing with this big category of first presidency it's the top dog of the whole church and then two counselors that kind of assist him then Going down the hierarchy ladder, there's something called the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. So there's one senior apostle called the President, and then there's 11 elders, and these serve as like advisors to the church, and they, they manage certain elements of the church. Then there are the General Authorities. So there's, this is broken up into General Officers, the Quorum of the Seventy, and the Presiding Bishop Brick. So, general officers are people working for the church this covers many many different areas Um, basically church employees those are the general officers then the quorum of the 70 is also in this hierarchy category and there are multiple quorums of the 70. they oversee the church uh, they oversee the church's local lay leaders and so again there's like a president Uh, where there's seven presidents. There's a first quorum and a second quorum. It's just overseeing the local operations of the church and making sure everything runs smoothly. There's also the bishops. Um, So there's a stake president, a ward bishopric, and then members of the church. And these are kind of like the bottom tier I guess of the hierarchy although they're not really seen as like the bottom tier but as you're getting more local you're getting these stakes they're called and then wards and then individual members so each individual member is part of a ward and a ward is a collection of about I think they said about 350 church members that are all kind of in community together that's who you go to your Sunday church with and so your ward is like All of the community members that you see on a regular basis because they're the local people um, they're in your local area so you can go to different wards but it's encouraged that you go to the ward that you are closest to and that you're assigned based on your location so there's also a graph that I'll probably post on Instagram um, that goes along with this that shows the hierarchy it's just like a straight-up ladder diagram Okay, so let's get into everyday life, the everyday lives of LBS church members. Now, this is obviously can vary a ton between person to person. So take this with a grain of salt. It's like not every single Mormon obviously does all of these things. But I found this great blog post that kind of summed it up from a Mormon blogger the blog is called purposeinchrist.com and it's called a complete list of things mormons can't do so kind of like the clickbaity title but she is actually a mormon and she talks about why they do these things and the benefits of them and all these sorts of things so it's not like i'm really always skeptical of articles that are just bashing like a religion so this was actually written by a mormon uh lds church member so here are some of the things that, some of the rules of conduct that most Mormons tend to try to live by. So, no sex before marriage and complete fidelity after marriage. It says, Mormons believe that family is essential to God's plan and we don't want to do anything that could jeopardize that. They don't do any alcohol or drugs because they don't want any substance to influence them to make poor decisions. Um, honesty is a big, a big thing with Mormons. Um, Although I did read another article that said dishonesty is actually very common within the Mormon culture. Honestly, probably from an ex-Mormon website that's trying to bring down the Mormon church. But the reasoning was actually kind of convincing because back in the day, which we talked about uh, last podcast episode, back at one point, like in the church's history, polygamy was allowed and actually encouraged but legally it was illegal like federally it was illegal and so a lot of Mormons had to lie or got used to covering up a lie in order to protect the church and it was taught uh, it seems as though it was taught that you could lie in order to, in order for a good cause like if there was gonna be a good outcome or you are protecting the church it's okay to lie but this mom blogger uh says that dishonesty is highly frowned upon. Um tithing is big in the Mormon church, so they donate 10% or more of the of their income to charity. There's also something called a fast donation, I think it's called, and once a month the family fasts for 24 hours and then donates the money that they would have spent on food plus usually some um, extra money to the church okay also very important distinction here almost all of the tithe money that's given to the church is directly put into ministry because the church is almost complete lay ministry meaning there's no paid pastors Um, church tends to be like just regular members getting up and preparing a message for the church body to kind of edify each other, but there's no like professional pastor. And so they don't get a salary. So all the money that is donated is going into like either the church buildings or ministry. They're not to view pornography because of the, you know, lust, involved and um, sexual chastity rules. Uh, no same sex relationships is one of the tenets. They say, they make it very clear that there are many gay members of the church who are faithful and in full fellowship, uh, but they believe the Bible's teachings that romantic relationships are ordained by God to be man and a woman, which makes me think how gay members could be fully, like in full fellowship in the Mormon church, because they do believe that. So I don't, I'm not exactly sure how that works. Um, It says they dedicate Sundays to the Lord. So the 10 commandments are from the Bible includes the commandment, remember to keep the Sabbath. Oh my gosh, I'm not reading very well. It says the 10 commandments from the Bible includes the commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We attend church on Sundays where we study the works of Christ and worship God. So, Nine times out of ten, you will find Mormons always at church on Sundays. And from the friends that I've had that grew up in the LDS church, they were not allowed to hang out with anyone on Sundays. It was a full family day, full day of rest. There was no, like, outside hanging out on Sundays. They try to not use foul language. They don't use cigarettes, coffee, tea, or tobacco. Um... They, most of the time, don't let teenagers date until they're 16 years old because they believe that they should have just wholesome relationships until they can kind of start courting to marry. So it's like more uh, purposeful dating than the average American teen. Um, Abortion is strongly... Banned, I guess you should, we could say, um, thou shalt not kill because they also believe that, uh, there's this pre-mortal existence and that souls are giving, being given a physical body. They believe that that is sent, I think if I am understanding this doctrine, right, they think that abortion is immediately sending those souls to the little spiritual holding area, um, where they'll still get instruction, but they don't get to hear the gospel. So they're anti-abortion. If you are Mormon and that is a doctrinal, if my doctrinal understanding on that is misunderstood, let me know. I think that's how it works, though. Um, and then most Mormons stay away from gambling. Um, okay. Then there's a list of myths that Mormons of what Mormons can't do that's actually not true so one of them is Mormons can't drink drink anything with caffeine he said no this isn't true I don't happen to like coke but I uh, don't think I'm going to hell if I drink it so from what I understand there is a passage that talks about hot drinks which means coffee or tea most people interpret it as coffee or tea some people just stay away from caffeine completely but that is not a universally accepted doctrine um a myth is that mormon women can't speak in church or hold leadership positions that apparently is not true there's a leadership um there are leadership positions for women but the priesthood is reserved for males um, and then the big myth is that Mormons can marry multiple wives and currently no member of the church who did this I mean any member of the church who did this would be excommunicated it says um, so that is has not always been true as we touched on last week polygamy was encouraged for a while but now it is not okay so then there are different ordinances and these are things that mormons participate in in order to receive like the full blessings of god or the full blessings of the afterlife so there's one called endowment which you receive your endowment in the temple and we'll talk about getting into the temple but because it requires this whole special um permission slip almost that's a simplified version but we'll just go with a permission slip and we'll talk about that in a little bit here um but it says receiving the ordinances needed to be exalted into the celestial kingdom that's the purpose of this endowment so you're going to receive these things and this is a ceremony that you have to go through in order to be qualified to get into the highest tier of the afterlife so i found this article that again i will link below but it says when you join the church you received two ordinances baptism and confirmation likewise the temple endowment is also received in two parts in the first part you will privately and individually receive what are called the initiatory ordinances these ordinances include special blessings regarding your divine heritage and potential as part of these ordinances you will be authorized to wear the sacred temple garment so you've heard about the sacred temple garment if you have been around Mormon circles at all this is a garment that you wear day and night under your regular clothes once you've been endowed and it's a reminder that God is always with you and that you're serving him all the time Um, it also encourages modesty so it's like tends to be pretty covered and so all your clothes have to go like above the hem or below the hems of the temple garments and so it's pretty modest um so you receive that and we'll go into more detail about that but in the second part of the ceremony you'll receive the rest of your endowment in a group setting this takes place in an instruction with others who are attending the temple events that are part of the plan of salvation are presented including the creation of the world the fall of adam and eve the atonement of jesus christ the apostasy and the restoration you'll learn more about the way people can return to the presence of the lord So apparently there's like tokens and symbols and things that you learn about how to get into the celestial kingdom. You have to be 18. The age has risen over the years because they want to make sure people are actually prepared to do this since it's seen as an eternal covenant. And so you have to be 18 and no longer be in school to get it. A lot of people get it right before they're married or before they're going to go on a mission. Um, in order to basically prove their commitment to the church. There's also confirmation, which happens right after baptism. And it is that ceremony is used to confer the Holy Ghost to the newly baptized convert. Um, Temple ordinances are also used to move people to the higher offices of the priesthood. So as they're like going up the ladder of the priesthood, There's ceremonies that mark those milestones. Um, There are family and eternal marriage ceilings, which again, we'll get into more depth about. And then there's some like not as common ceremonies that happen, like feet washing, a second anointing, and then there's like a prayer circle that also can happen. So that brought me to researching all about mormon marriages because my mom was telling me that she knew someone in the lds church and they were not allowed to go to their like family members wedding even though they were mormons so i was wondering what the actual requirements of seeing a wedding are and then that led me on a rabbit hole of all this stuff about mormon marriage so mormons do not have to get married in a temple They can get married in a civil marriage, and that's seen as fine, or they can get married in the temple, which, again, are the only ones that make you eligible to join the celestial kingdom. So temple marriages are very secret. No non-Mormons are allowed to see, and even some Mormons who are not at... I put a high enough level here in my research, um, but now I kind of know a little bit more what that means. So if you don't have this permission slip that I mentioned before to get into the temple. You cannot see a Mormon wedding, even if you yourself are a Mormon. So the people that are practicing Mormons, but aren't deemed worthy of seeing this marriage, it's because they could not get something called a temple recommend. And that temple recommend is that permission slip. So. They believe marriage is not just until death, it's eternal in some instances. Only if you get married in the temple and sealed in the temple is it eternal. Otherwise, it is just until death. So this is where sealing ceremonies come in. And a sealing ceremony is meant to bind two people um, on earth and in heaven. It can also be used to join families across generations. So you're like guaranteed to see and be with your family for eternity so in a sealing ceremony it has to take place in a recognized lds temple which as of 2020 there were about 230 worldwide you have to reserve a sealing room for a very specific like time and date and uh, both people who are being sealed must obtain a temple recommend And what that temple recommend does is it proves that they're worthy members of the LDS church. So um, then they get a state marriage license because they have to be registered with the state to get married in the temple as well. And then they also have to get two male witnesses for the sealing. And those uh, witnesses have to also have temple recommends and belong to the Melchizedek priesthood, which is like the highest Priesthood level. So there has to be witnesses, and everyone has to be like a very good Mormon (laughs) to be in this sealing ceremony. So that brought me into the question of what actually is a temple recommend? I've thrown around the phrase a bunch of times. So let's get into what it requires and what it actually is. It says, to be sealed, couples must actually obtain two recommends apiece by meeting with their bishop or branch president and with a local state president. Couples must prove they're worthy to enter a temple. So that means like they must follow the LDS church's rules very closely, including maintaining moral actions and thoughts at all times. Paying tithes, staying chaste, making regular confessions, avoiding unhealthy diets, and wearing special garments when inside the temple. So you have to go through these interviews and prove that you have followed the rules and that you, if you haven't followed the rules, you've repented and confessed your sins and all this. You're basically on track to a good life. And then someone will give you a temple recommend. Now the temple recommends are given after these interviews um, and they are valid for two years. So in order to stay current, you're gonna have to do this every two years. It's not really a permanent thing. Um, okay, so any guest wishing to attend a Mormon wedding must interview for and receive a temple recommend. Now a lot of these people will already have one because they're doing temple activities which includes baptizing the dead and doing all these having all these ordinances um, in the temple but everyone who who attends must have the temple recommend if someone has really gone off track but they are still a mormon like an lds church member but they cannot receive a, a recommend because of something that they've done uh, they will not be able to see the wedding so only adults over the age of 18 can receive a recommend so there are not going to be kids there at the wedding either unless they're under the age of eight because kids under the age of eight are not responsible yet for their own sins. So many couples to get around this do a civil ceremony um, right You know, before or after their temple ceremony if they want to get married in the temple. Also, you just don't have to get married in the temple. Some people just do a civil ceremony as a replacement so that everyone can be involved um okay so okay again yeah so many mormons choose a civil ceremony so can be there it used to be that if you did a ceremony as basically a punishment of a civil ceremony they would make you wait a year to do a temple ceremony however the rules have changed and now you can just do it right after the other they didn't want to punish people for wanting their family involved since family is such a central part of the lds church doctrine and culture and all of that okay then i looked up more about the temple garments that you get when you're being endowed and Again, I think I went over a decent amount of this, but it's worn under an individual's daily clothing. It's especially worn when you go into the temple, but it's also very traditional and encouraged to wear it at all points during the day to serve as a reminder of their belief and their connection to God. And it's viewed as the armor of God. They're viewed like they're in a war with these bad forces that are trying to get them to rebel and tempt them and things like that and so the garments that you're endowed with are viewed as the armor of god Uh, an interesting thing also is that the divorce rate of mormons who are married in the temple is only six percent now this is not the civil marriage divorce rate but any um Mormon who is married in the temple only has about a 6% chance of divorce now that's probably because they have to do so much and be proven to have such good outstanding character basically before they even get married in the temple so it's pretty good people that are making this marriage work and they're very very devoted to the church so that probably has a lot to do with it with their family religious ties so What happens with the 6% that do want to get a divorce? A civil divorce does not unseal a couple after they have been sealed. It says, after the paperwork is signed, the couple must apply for and receive a cancellation of sealing, which can only be done by a high-ranking church official. Mormon women wishing to remarry and have their new union sealed must receive this cancellation before the next wedding, which is not necessary for men to remarry. Because men can be sealed to multiple people because of the whole polygamy thing. They don't need to be unsealed before they wed again. So then I was wondering, a lot of um, Mormons have a ton of kids. And so I was wondering if contraception was off the table. It is not. Um, basically, they say that's between you, your spouse, and God. Um, but uh, a lot of couples are advised by church leadership to not prevent Uh, kids from coming into your life just for material reasons like oh I need to finish school I don't have enough money Um, that's usually not seen as a good reason to prevent having kids but again it's between the spouse and God but the whole doctrine of like we have this pre-existence and then we're given bodies and then based on what we do here we are Um, put to either a paradise or this like holding prison that doctrine is a lot of motivation to have a lot of kids because you're going to be able to welcome a lot of these spirit beings into your home help raise them guide them on the right path and so you're giving more of your basically spiritual brothers and sisters and more of uh, god's spirit children a better chance to get saved into a higher kingdom. So the doctrine itself kind of encourages a lot like bigger families. Uh, and then also I have noticed that a lot of LDS families also adopt kids and there is an LDS family service that pairs LDS children of unwed mothers with like infertile couples or couples that are willing to adopt. So a lot of that is handled within the church and they help, um, people who cannot marry the father of their child or don't want to. And they will encourage you again, since abortion is considered a grave sin to have the child and then give it to give it up for adoption. And they will help pair that child with a very loving LDS family. Okay, then part of the everyday life discussion is church on sundays what do you do there how long is it uh and all that kind of logist those logistical question. so typical non-denominational church tends to be about an hour long lds services tend to be two hours long hour one is the sacrament meeting it lasts for a full hour it's you're meeting with your entire ward so that's like the whole 350 people or person congregation they're singing praying you participate in the sacrament which is taking the bread and a little cup of water in remembrance of the the last supper um and jesus's sacrifice on the cross so again it's all lay ministers or there's no professional pastor so different members of the congregation will be asked to prepare a message and so a few different members each week will get up and share a brief message that they've prepared the second hour is then a rotation of more specific classes so there is like a 50 minute breakout after a 10 minute break where kids go into their section young adults go into their section and adults go into their section sometimes there's different classes that you can choose as an adult and you can learn about different things depending on kind of your interest Um, but everyone kind of splits off and does their own like second hour class And then I have gotten really into genealogy and our ancestry. And one of the major uh, ancestry tools, not Ancestry.com, but I think it's called like Family Tree or something. One of the main genealogy sites that's very well known is run through the Mormon Church in Utah. It's based out of Salt Lake. And so I was wondering why there was such an emphasis on genealogy and family trees and stuff like that so this is because of the doctrine of baptizing the dead to give them a chance at salvation which we talked about before but you can baptize anyone even if they've died and even if they're not your family member so a lot of Mormons do a lot of genealogy work because they want to find or account for every single person that has existed and they want to go and baptize them so that they have a chance to be saved slash move up to from the celestial kingdom to the terrestrial kingdom so it's not just a family members for their family members they do a lot of genealogy for everyone because people are going and saying oh we found this new person we found a record of this new person we're gonna go take them and baptize them even though they are dead to give them a chance Of life after the resurrection so that's where that comes from I never knew that's why I thought it was because Mormons are so family centric that they just wanted to know their family and the genealogy that would be with them kind of in the next life or for eternity but it's actually they're trying to save essentially all of humanity by finding every single person that has lived and baptizing them so that is all i have for the day-to-day life and the beliefs of the afterlife and the doctrines of the mormon church slash the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints so i hope you enjoyed i hope you enjoyed that two-parter we're over an hour for each episode there is so much this is such an interesting topic to me and i just couldn't dive in deep enough so Thank you for sticking with me for two episodes of this topic. Next week, we will be back with an episode about the Michelin stars, how they get ranked, the history of the stars, and all that kind of thing. So, hope to see you then. I will also be back on Thursday for another Bible episode. And then we are starting our States series very, very soon. And we will be doing Delaware, I think, starting in two weeks. So, be tuned. Be be tuned. No, stay tuned. There's a lot of great episodes coming your way. And thank you all for being here. Make sure to rate and review the podcast if you haven't already, and I'll see you soon. Bye everyone.